congregation in the preaching on the Heidelberg Catechism, we've come to Lord's Day 32, the first Lord's Day in the part about our thankfulness. Lord's Day 32, and we confess there the following. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. So far, our confession. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that includes you too, boys and girls, also brothers and sisters in Christ. As we saw at the baptism here, you're included. Have you ever heard a cat bark like a dog? Or seen a, a grapevine produce oranges? Of course not. Of course not. Cats just produce their own kind of sound and vines only produce their own kind of fruit. Belongs to them. That's simply the way they are and it's a biological necessity. A different question. Have you ever come across a Christian who doesn't do his or her best to live a holy life? A Christian who doesn't make every effort to produce works which are pleasing to the Lord? Of course not. Christians only want to produce works befitting repentance, right? That's simply the way they are. It's a spiritual necessity. With the cat and the vine, it was a biological necessity, but here it's a spiritual necessity. We confess that already in Lord's Day 24. It's impossible that those engrafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. It's part and parcel of being a Christian belonging to Christ. But we come back to that necessity in Lord's Day 32 about doing good works. The first question here asks, why must we yet do good works? Why must we yet do good works? That word must is often experienced as a coercive must. Child of God is compelled to live according to God's law. 
But congregation, that word must doesn't actually have that compelling meaning in Lord's Day 32. No, here the, the idea is that they can't do otherwise because they belong to Christ. They must do good works because they can't and they don't want to do otherwise. And that's why I proclaim to you this Lord's Day with this theme then. As believers engrafted into Christ, we must do good works. First of all, out of thankfulness to God, and that's primarily out of thankfulness to God, also as confirmation of our faith, and finally, also as testimony to our neighbor. So first of all, we must do good works out of thankfulness to God. People generally are not quick to do something unless there's some kind of, something com compelling them to do though, so to do that. There's a push for them to do it, especially if it involves things they don't like doing a whole lot. Mother washes the family's clothes because otherwise the family's gonna walk around in filthy clothing. Boys and girls have to go to school because otherwise they're gonna get behind in learning and run into problems with their parents. You, you must stay within the speed limit, otherwise you're gonna get traffic tickets. Would you do those things if there wasn't something that compelled you to do those things? I'm afraid we'd end up only doing the things we enjoyed doing, and that wouldn't be good, right? Sadly, though, that's how some people think they can deal with what God requires of them, too. I'll do what God wants me to do, otherwise I'm going to get into trouble with God and then I might not end up going to heaven. I won't do that because otherwise I'll get the elders on the phone asking for a visit. Or my parents are gonna get after me. But if that is the motivation, are you, really, are you really committed to doing good works in your life, to living a holy life? If those things compel you. Imagine, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that there wouldn't be any consequence at all to not keeping God's law. Imagine there was no punishment for disobedience. Would you keep the law of God then? Would you heed the Lord's call to be holy as He is holy? You know, try to examine yourself honestly. Would you? And that, that brings to the question, what actually motivates you to do what God requires of you? What motivates you to do what God requires of you? And then, of course, you have to ask yourself, is, is that really a biblical motive? The first answer of Lord's Day 32 has formulated some motives. And the first and the main one is thankfulness. Thankfulness. I do my utmost to live as God requires out of thankfulness, gratitude that Jesus Christ has snatched me from eternal damnation. 
I have a lot of sins and shortcomings on my conscience. I, of myself, deserve eternal punishment. I have no excuse for myself. There's no way for me to escape that punishment myself. I was destined for eternal punishment of body and soul, therefore. But God's only Son, Jesus Christ, came into time here, into our time, came to this earth, sent by God Himself, and amazingly, He was willing to bear in His body and soul that eternal punishment in my place, which I deserved. He gave His holy life for me. His death was life for me, eternal life. And therefore, therefore, if I think about that, then my desire is to live for this God. And it's not because I'm afraid of His wrath as such, but because I'm so taken by His love for me. He gave it all for me, poor sinner. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize in yourself that motivation for doing good works, for living a holy life? That your heart is so filled with love and gratitude toward God in Christ that you cannot but want to live in holiness before Him? That you do your utmost to live a holy life even if there was no consequence to living an unholy life? I'm afraid, sadly, this is not always our big motivation, is it? And do you, know, do you know why not? That's because we often don't appreciate enough what the Lord Jesus has really done for us. And that's something to think for, uh, for us to think about in the week of his passion. Do we see enough of what he has accomplished in our place. That in the first place. And then also, we don't realize enough what our future would have been without that work of Jesus Christ for us. And you see, if, we don't, if those two things don't sink in enough, then we're going to be easygoing, right? We're going to try to get out of living a holy life as much as we can without getting into trouble. Oh, we know, we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins then. And we know that because of that we have forgiveness of our sins and we receive eternal life. But those benefits which we've heard repeated so often, often from childhood on, they can become such worn-out phrases for us, can't they? We get used to them. And then they don't reach us inside here anymore. It's something like what happened with 
A drug like penicillin first discovered people were ecstatic, grateful, was so effective against infection, saved so many lives. Also today, yet 90 years later, but today we go to the doctor and we have it prescribed and we pick it up at the pharmacy and we don't even, we just assume it's there to use when there's an infection like pneumonia or so and you get a prescription, take it, and it helps you overcome your sickness and you go on with life. But people in general don't even know who discovered it or how it works anymore. And I'm afraid this is sometimes how we deal with the good news, the gospel of Christ's salvation from eternal damnation for us. What it's a wonderful message, but we heard it so often already and we were so used to it. It's old news, even though we call it gospel. And then it doesn't touch us inside here anymore. And then it's not going to be a, something that motivates us to live a holy life anymore, right? It doesn't motivate us to live a life in which we, out of thankfulness for Christ's work for us, try to push sin out of our lives more and more and walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And the sad thing is that then our attempt to live a holy life has actually taken on another motive, and it's not a good motive because we figure then what we have to do this because there's no other way. We're stuck with it. Or we do it because of the pressure of family or other people around us. Or we try to live holy lives because we're afraid of the punishment of hell and not out of gratitude, thankfulness. Congregation, we need to prepare ourselves every Sunday to be in church, prepare ourselves beforehand, and be here again and again to learn from the Word of God and to see in the sacraments too, like the baptism this afternoon, what Christ has actually done for us. That has to be hammered into us and we need to learn from that every time again how hopeless our condition was and how deserving we are in ourselves of ex eternal exclusion from God's presence. And we need to see every time again how incredibly awesome it is that God's Son came to deliver us from that desperate situation and that He did it all for free. For free. We see that especially in baptism too. Little Aria didn't even know. And she has the promises. All for free. Out of boundless love. For brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you see where the awareness of all of this grows, where it's taken to heart, there will also be growing gratitude. And we're then as a result of that growing gratitude, there will be a desire to live in thankfulness to God's holy law too. That'll grow too. And it won't be because we must, otherwise we're going to end up in hell. 
but it'll be a must because we want to live for this God who is so incredibly gracious and loving towards us and our children. And congregation, this is something a minister has to bring to the fore every time again. And, and parents for their children. And parents have to be careful of that, how they present that to their children too. How to live for the Lord, but also why? Why? The Lord chose you, my child. Wants you. Wants you with him in heaven. Gave his son for you. Teachers at school, the Christian school. You, you know, you can't just motivate your instructions to the children by saying, well, you have to do that because I say so. And that's the end of it. No. There's a teaching moment. Take the time. Show them how blessed they are with God's promises in Christ. And how a child of God actually cannot be anything but grateful for what the Savior has done and still does for them. You see, that should be the main motivator for all of us to seek to live in holiness before God. To take up that good fight. And of course, every believer who sees that will also, will also fold his or her hands in prayer to the Lord to ask for help to also live a holy life more and more. Because you're never going to grow in that holiness without Christ. He's the true vine. Without him, we'll never be able to bring forth Fruit that glorifies God. Fruit such as love, patience, peace, kindness, and so on. Well, he, we read John 15. And we learned there that he wants to work that in us by his spirit. As long as we abide in him as branches of that vine. As long as we seek his help and strengthen. After all, as we remember this week, Good Friday and next Sunday, Easter Sunday, he has broken the power of sin and of Satan by his cross in this world. This world is going downhill, but he has broken it. He has taken away Satan's right to your life then. He has shown that he is mightier than anything or anyone else in heaven and on earth. And that he overcomes all the decay and the brokenness. And his mission is now to completely destroy the power of Satan. And with his help, in his strength, you can fight and you can overcome sin more and more and live a holy life more and more, a life which is pleasing to God. And not because you have to, but because you want to. You want to. You can't do anything else because you love him for all he did for you and has promised you. And see, congregation, to not live and grow in holiness like that is therefore also a matter of thanklessness. 
thanklessness. And that's the second question and answer of our Lord's day. Can those who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life, can those be saved? By no means. Living in unthankful life, not giving to God what he has a right to. You're ignoring the work of Christ then, his work of redemption and his effort to renew and sanctify your life. He promised you those things. If you don't take them, if you refuse them, what then? And that's why God is so upset if we continue in a sin. We don't have to. And that it's not just a matter of you're not doing what I say, so you're going to be punished. No, continuing in sin is striking God in the face. He gave his only and beloved son for you. To forgive you and to renew you. But you turn him down because you don't so show any gratitude for those promises of his. Is it any wonder then that God will deal severely with you then? So our first motivation for living a holy life is thankfulness to God. Thankfulness. Glorifying God for what he has done for us in Christ. We come to the second part of the sermon this afternoon then. Do good works for the confirmation of our faith. Lord's Day 32 mentions that second motive then. Do your utmost to live a holy life in order to encourage yourself. We do good works so that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits. That's difficult to explain. I'll try to do that if you walk in the springtime now through an orchard and all the trees look basically the same. Or through a vineyard, all the vines look the same. Can't tell whether, you know, these are green grapes or purple ones. Or these are apple trees or pear trees. But when I walk through that same orchard or vineyard, say in August, I see the fruit. I say, whoa, that's an apple tree and that's a pear tree and that's, that bears green grapes and this one has purple grapes. It's something like that with people and faith. If you hear somebody swearing often or regularly slandering other people, then you have to say, that can't be a believer. That's not a believer. Look at the fruits there. A true believer would talk differently, would behave differently. The Bible tells us that a believer looks more like Jesus Christ with love and respect for the neighbor, renewed after his image. Like Paul says, Galatians 5 or 6, faith works through love. In other words, faith shows itself in love. And in, in that same chapter, the apostle describes how the a child of God who is driven by the Spirit of Christ, how that child lives, what kind of fruits show in his or her life more and more. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruits which Christ showed when he was on earth. And if you, are, if you abide in him, in that vine, which is Jesus Christ, you will bear those fruits too, wouldn't you? More and more. And then you notice those fruits in your life 
and you notice that you really do love God. You notice that you don't like swearing. And if you use bad language, you feel really guilty about it. And you ask for forgiveness for it. Lord, I don't want to say that anymore. Help me. And you look forward to going to church on Sunday. You look forward to that. You respect your parents. You see their shortcomings, you respect them. You notice that, they're, that you're not just after your own honor then either. You give credit where credit is due to others. And maybe you gossip sometimes, but you're pretty ashamed about it afterwards. And you're thinking, I can't, I'm not going to do that again. Brothers and sisters, if you notice those kinds of things in you, then you're seeing fruits of faith. You see that God is really at work in you. That Christ is giving you strength to live a new life. He doesn't pour that all out at once, but more and more. And that's an encouragement to your faith. Then you think, I really am connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. I believe. I can change. The Lord is working in me. I sense that in my life, in my attitude. I do things which I would never do out of myself, and I, I leave things behind which I could never let go of out of myself. Christ is at work in me. Now, I could mention a few things in connection with that yet. You only notice those things in your life if you make the effort yourself to bring forth those fruits, of course. Those fruits are not just going to grow by themselves, even though they're worked in you by Christ. Think of what the Apostle Paul writes, Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So fruits of faith are not going to come unless you're also active in seeking them yourself. You can't just sit down with your arms crossed and wait and think the fruit's going to grow automatically. A fruit farmer doesn't do that either. Neither does, does someone with a vineyard. They work hard to ensure that all the conditions are right there for the, for the fruit to come, to produce, the vines and the trees to produce. And another thing, when you notice the fruit of faith in your life, you can't figure, well, there I have it, boom, it's there. The Spirit's working, so I've, I'm okay. I've arrived. Satan can't do much to me anymore. No. Satan has lost his right to you because of Christ. But he's not going to give up on you trying to draw you away from Christ. As long as we're not perfected yet, and that will come in the life to come, as long as we're not perfected yet, Satan still has the opportunity here to try to resist Christ's work in our lives. And he would love to even make the elect fall. And don't kid yourself, he's going to use every opportunity. How often aren't we warned in the Bible to look out for the devil and his wiles? And finally, 
What if you hardly see any fruit of faith in your life? Like the, if you read those fruits in Galatians 5, what if you see hardly any of them? Or what if you're, you think, okay, I'm trying to live as God wants me to, but I can't. I just can't make any progress in that. What if there's no growth in holiness? What then? Do you need to come to the conclusion, well, I guess I don't believe and there's no hope for me? No, before you jump to that conclusion, you have to ask yourself a few questions here. Why should you live a holy life? Because you have to, or otherwise people or God are going to be upset with you? Or are you going to try to do that out of thankfulness for what Christ has done for you? Have you really studied the gospel enough then to see more and more of what Christ has actually done for you? And are you really praying for strength to live a new life, or are you trying to do it completely on your own? If you are, you're sunk. And then you have to tell yourself a few things too. Right? And you have to tell yourself, do not give up. You heard the promises at the baptism here this afternoon. Also that promise that the Holy Spirit will live in you, will dwell in you, and impart to you what you have in Christ, namely the cleansing from your sins and the daily renewal of your life. He promised that. Well then, ask the Spirit to live in you and to work that cleansing and renewal in your life then. And pray fervently. He promised. And God's promises never fail if we seek them out fervently. You will bring forth fruits of faith. Maybe just little wee tiny grapes at first. But then you notice, when you notice them, they already then assure you of faith. And they encourage you to keep praying and keep working. And then the fruit continues to grow. And you see more to your amazement and to God's glory. So we paid attention to those two motivations for us to grow in good works. Thankfulness to God and assurance of our faith by its fruits. We come to the last. We must do good works as testimony to our neighbor. Good works, fruits of faith, are also, in, in our lives, are a testimony to our fellow man, our neighbor, people close to us and around us. It's, it's kind of an advertisement for Christ. You show others who Christ is, what he does. And they see that in your life. And so you bring people to pay attention to him. How we speak, how we act as Christians has such an impact on those around us. You know, that it's said that an alcoholic affects at least 40 other people around him with his or her destructive behavior. Family, friends, co-workers, and so on. They're all affected by this person's alcoholism. Well, if bad behavior affects so many people, imagine the impact 
the good works as fruit of faith in Christ will have on other people. Let's say 40 for each of us. How many would that be among all of us together? Congregation in connection with that, the first motive, the motive of thankfulness to God always plays then the biggest role too. If we walk in holiness because we're moved by thankfulness for the many and wonderful things we have received and still receive from God and Christ, that's going to make our lives radiate positive things, right? Radiate positive vibes. It can't be otherwise. People will notice. We're not driven by duty as such. These people are driven by passion for Christ. And they'll notice it's not a matter of keeping rules because we have to or else. But they'll see that our hearts belong to Jesus Christ. It's love for Him that brings us to act like we act and not to do what we don't do. People will see it. They'll hear about it. And then they'll wonder, what motivates those people? And then they want to hear more about it. Why are you so determined to live the way you do? Why don't you do this with us? And why does Christ mean so much to you? They'll be curious about what brings us here every Sunday again. What drives us to church, to be here? And the more questions we raise in their minds, the more open they are to talking about it. Maybe you haven't seen that much of a reaction to how you live as a Christian. How can we achieve that people wonder about us and wonder about this church and ultimately wonder about Jesus Christ and his gospel? Because that's what it's all about. We have to make sure that we're deeply impressed, congregation, in our own hearts with the inexpressibly awesome work of our Lord Jesus Christ ourselves. That has to be our all and everything. In other words, we have to make sure that we're present when the gospel is proclaimed and expounded and signified and sealed in the sacraments too. And we're thirsty for that. And we take it in. Be present with open ears and open eyes and open hearts. And open the Bible ourselves at home too, not once in a while, as often as possible. Edify each other in Bible study and conversation. Be diligent in prayer for the Spirit of Christ to work in us. That's how He works. Opening the Word, He works in your heart. That gratitude and through prayer and through edifying one another. And so, if we wish to make an impact on other people, even our children, they're our neighbors too, we have to work hard 
at our relationship with Christ. We must do good works, the good works of Lord's Day 32. And that must will not be forced must then, but a must because that's just who we are. We can't be otherwise. We don't want to be anything else. We can't do anything else but praise God in word and deed to our own amazement and as a witness to our neighbor. Amen.